Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey everyone, and welcome to Up Next in Commerce. Today I'm here with Michael Abraham, the Senior Vice President of Digital Product at Fox Corporation. Before Fox, he built Epic's direct-to-consumer OTT subscription service. And prior to that, he was at places like NBC Universal and Associated Press. He's an expert with nearly 20 years of digital product management under his belt and three patents to his name. Michael, welcome to the show. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Three patents. Let's just start there. I mean, I haven't had anyone who's come on this show who even has one patent. <laughs> Tell me a bit about what it looks like to, you know, create patents. Yeah, no, firstly, thank you for the compliment. I actually worked with a lot of very smart people out there that has, you know, is a team effort to really create those patents. But I will say how it came to be is really, to me, is the most interesting part of it is like, it's like creating a culture that sort of encourages people to create patents and work in innovative ways. That was happening at the time at NBC Universal. I was part of a team called Media Labs. The company at the time was going through a a great investment into how do we fester and and make sure that people are uh, paying attention to innovation in all sorts of parts of the company. And this Media Labs team was right in the center of that. So it was quite a lucky team. We got to work with all the different parts of the company. You know, you've got the parks, you've got the movie industry, you've got the TV, you've got the digital assets and everything else in between. And that team set sort of in a centralized way. And the job was to really work with all those folks, understand what the challenges they have uh, in the digital world, and sort of try and solve those problems with innovative solutions. So a lot of the day-to-day work happened sort of naturally in that way, where you're sort of trying to see a problem and then trying to work with it, whether it's a startup industry or your own development team to come up with proof of concepts that sort of solve these solutions. At the same time, we had really intelligent lawyers that were great and we would show them the work we'd do. And very often, some of them were, would come up with patterns. So that's sort of the culture that 
allows for people to create that. Because there's a lot of smart people in a lot of companies in a lot of places, but to create the culture first is, is really, I think, is the first step to do that. From there, I think creating the solutions can happen in many different ways. And, and some of them happen naturally, again, by just understanding problems and taking your time to think about the solutions that you could provide with them, engaging with different parts of the, uh, the startup world, as I mentioned, but also working sort of day-to-day with uh, a really clever development team and sort of trying to uh, encourage them in a innovative way to solve those problems. This happens through hackathons uh, that we were running internally and externally with other entities, whether they were the universities or just open to the market and, and everybody else can, can join. Or it could also happen by sort of challenging people internally to submit those great ideas and sort of see if they're able, if you were to bring somebody from marketing, somebody from development and somebody else in sales and sort of have them all sit together and solve these problems. So that's kind of, I think, the, the base model to get things like that done. And around that time, I, I submitted a few patterns, again, being part of that team. And some of them came, well, my ideas, some of them were not my ideas, but they were all sort of like great to work on. Oh, I love that. I mean, to me, that just shows how to create a very innovative culture where, you know, it's in a way autonomous, you're able to think big picture and have a company backing you. But what does it look like from an incentive structure when you're like, I mean, because I worked at Google and they always tried to get us to, hey, everyone can create patents or be part of it. And then some people would be like, wait, why would I want to create it at this company versus just my own? What does it look like when you're creating it at an NBC or something? And how did you maybe bring that to where you are today with like keeping people innovative, but giving them the incentives to like, and keep it in house? That's a great question. So uh, at NBC, they, they did have an interesting model where they basically in, incentivize people or employees by getting paid if they were to submit uh, patterns. So there were a lot of people sort of like working on like different projects. And then some of them naturally were actually solving things and didn't know that they could patent those ideas. And again, educating those folks and going to them and, and letting them know that, you know, tell us, you know, working with the lawyers and everybody else in between and let us know what you're working on. And maybe some of these you could get paid for. So the company sort of set a, a model, I think back then, uh, a great model that sort of helped people create patterns for the company. I think it, there is an interesting question, I think, if, if I may answer it. It's, it's around like, not just for the pattern, but like generally in like idea in, in making ideas. Like when you work somewhere and you come up with a great idea, does the idea sort of belong to the individual? Does it belong to the company? And of course the company thinks it belongs to the company. And then the individual might, might have uh, sort of all different types of ideas around that. But I think it's uh, if the company sort of creates the right path for people's careers and then the right path also to m- make sure that everybody's well-educated on the fact that they're able to innovate within the company and they feel like they have that a creative space to create things inside, I think people will be quite excited about it and happy about it. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going to unpack way more of this when I get into like team building and culture a little bit later, but thank you for going into the weeds with me. I'm like, that's so interesting and I have not had anyone on the show that can say they've done that yet that I know of. So backing it up some to where you're at today, Fox Corporation, I want to hear like, what does your day-to-day role look like right now? Like, what are you doing every day? What are you trying to solve? What are some hairy projects that you're working on? Yeah, no, great question. So just a little bit of quick background. I manage several product lines 
and a few initiatives. Some of those product lines are Fox News and Business, uh, Fox Weather, Fox Nation, which is a streaming platform, just sort of a, a Netflix-type uh, non-ad-supported platform, and uh, Outkick, which is also a sporting-based, content-based uh, website. So all these different platforms and all these different product lines have their own roadmaps. They have their own uh, stakeholders and leadership uh, folks around them. And I think day-to-day, -day, uh, my day is very different depending on like what I'm sort of trying to focus on. But from day-to-day, -day, I do my best to basically make sure my team is focused on the right things. We have a small and nimble team and everybody here works very hard and everybody counts as multiple people because they work really, really hard. But at the end of the day, it's like we need to make sure that we are focused on the right things that we need to solve right now. And at the same time, I'm trying to think of like this quarter and the future, how are we steering the ship in the right way from a product roadmapping sort of point of view so that we are building the best things that the team and ultimately our users need to have uh, in their experience. So it is sort of uh, juggling a few things, working with um, you know our product managers, our designers, our developers, uh, our project managers, and sort of like trying to make sure everything is sort of moving in the right direction and trying to stay sort of high level enough and not not get too much into the weeds. But then unfortunately, I'm a lot of time, I'm all the way down in the weeds as well. But not that I don't enjoy it, but there's just like so many different places I could be at, at the same time. The one thing I noticed, and you can tell me if this is not correct, is that I see Fox moving to this like multi-platform strategy, wherever people are, we're going to show you the content, where when you look at maybe other media companies are like, okay, it's only my platform. This is where the ads are. I want you, everything links back here. I need to control it. And it feels like Fox is like more decentralized. Is that actually what's happening? Or is that just a very naive way of viewing what you guys are doing? No, no, not at all. I feel like I saw some stats just around Fox like company in general, when it just like rolled everything up that it was still doing better than everyone else. Yeah, I think there's multiple examples we can look at with that is like basically to your point about like, Fox being everywhere and being available uh, everywhere. We integrate our stack with Google, Apple, Roku, Amazon. We are in the forefront of all their innovative product launches. Uh, we're right in the middle of all their feature set. We make sure that we are leveraging all the subscription models. So we're right there and we make sure that as they're launching something, we are in, uh, a partner in that. So we want to make sure we're never like, left behind. And we have great relationships with all those uh, partners and we continue to grow them with other partners as well. It's like one of those things, like if you want to do well, you're going to need to be on every shelf and every store. And that's kind of like the approach in many ways. We want to make sure we're available. If anybody needs to consume our content, they would be able to get it in any device at any time. You couldn't just be selective in that way because people tend to be everywhere and they want to they want their content to travel with them in any sort of format in any time. Mm -hmm. Was this like an organic way of going about it or was this like something from the top where it's like we need to be everywhere or did did it just kind of happen based off of where people were viewing things? Yeah, no, good question. So I think it's a little bit of, I think a, a little bit of both. Uh, a lot of what happens when we partner with those uh, platforms is it's it's got to do with a lot more with education. So my role is also to make sure my relationship and our relationship with those partners is very strong. I meet with them very, very regularly, uh, at least once a month, if not twice a month. Uh, we share with them what we're working on. We get their opinion. 
on those features and everything else. They then also come back and show us things that are coming up from their end. And they share with us some of the launches and some of the features as they're coming out. They educate us on it. We ask the right questions on them and sort of try and move forward with those feature set. So it is definitely a two-way. So you need to be there for them to want to have that relationship with you. You can't just be sort of expecting just because you're a big brand, they're going to always be thinking of you. You actually need to really put in the time to uh, invest in that relationship. Yeah. So when thinking about the different platforms that you're on, I mean, I'm sure YouTube, TikTok, maybe like it seems like you guys are kind of everywhere. Have there been any surprises as you're allowing your content to be on platforms that are not Fox owned? Like, is there anything that is like new that you're having to work around because of that? Not too sure, actually, because usually like most of the content publishing is usually done by our social media sort of uh, team. But I will say we are integrating in the live environment of, of those platforms. So when you go to a live, you know, Amazon, what's really, really interesting is that those platforms themselves are sort of like creating their own sort of virtual MVPD experience so that you can go and watch a channel live and you watch that channel live through your remote on Amazon. For example, they have those great features. Roku is doing something quite similar. So it's really interesting to see them sort of like make that switch back where it's like live TV again. So what we're doing from our end is making sure that our content, which again, traditionally was based on like your setup box. And then a lot of the content obviously lives on all these digital platforms is to now have the live TV live on those digital platforms outside our apps, which is also another like sort of interesting sort of uh, twist on things as things sort of still evolving and changing a little bit. And again, it goes back to the point of being everywhere all the time so that people can always find us and without a great deal of research, right? They just, it needs to be easy and it needs to be right there. Yeah, it's interesting talking about the live TV component because I always think it seems like things only go out of style for a little bit. People are like, oh, I don't really want cable right now. Like I just want whatever it might be. I mean, I don't want commercials. And then all of a sudden you start to see it come back again. You're like, wait, weren't we? This is just a different platform. But we were already here in the past. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting watching. It is interesting because like I also like if you look at the trends and some of the things that the, the Google and Apple especially are trying to do is the bundling ideas as well. It does sound like it's even the same words. Like you used to get like a cable bundle, right? You get these types of things and you get that for free for the first three months. And it's not much different. It's like, yep, you get this bundle and now you get this music and you get this, you know, a few movies and you get these other things. And then how much cheaper is it really uh, is one question for the consumer. But I think what's interesting about it is, is that it is very flexible. It's just, it's offering a great deal of different types of uh, flexibilities for the user, which is, uh, it gives them sort of the choice. I think there is definitely something nostalgic about how things are sort of coming back full circle. Yeah. And it's funny with the bundling things, like we just got done unbundling. That was the whole past five years That's was unbundling. Right. And here we go again, putting it back together in a more flexible manner, like you said. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at radio right now too, wondering like, hmm, like what's radio going to turn into? Because people for a little while were like, no, maybe radio is going to go away. I'm like, I think it's just going to come back just like yeah. live TV did. And yeah, exactly. And I think radio radio was like, oh, podcast was going to be the thing, right? And then, like, well, it is a podcast, really just a digital recording. You could even, you could tie it right back. It has ads in the middle. It's not much different, but yeah, it's a great observation actually on radio too. 
Yeah, it's just all branding problems. You just have to rebrand it and then bring it back in a slightly different way. And people will be like, ah, That's right. genius. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, what is interesting, though, is podcasts is, is because it is pre-recorded. And I guess that's true probably for a lot of the streaming services is that you're able to listen to it at any time. Is this There is this like download feature that makes you free if you're commuting or on the plane or anywhere else and sort of like be fairly entertained and those great features, I think, is what people are probably enjoying the most. Like, you know, like most of us do when we're about to fly, you go and download a bunch of stuff on your device. These things were almost impossible 20 years ago, like completely difficult to do. It's very simple and, and it's almost a pleasure nowadays. Yeah, I agree. So I'm sure over the past year or two, you've probably seen a lot of changes in maybe consumer behavior and how people are watching things and how they're interacting with it. Which makes me want to ask, like, what metrics does your team focus on when it comes to, you know, are things doing well? Like, are you looking at consumption, engagement rates, like interaction? Like, what are you looking at to see, like, is our suite of products and all these teams I manage, like, are the things going out doing well? Yeah. So I think there is one thing that we look at is the comms call. And it basically tells us, like, how many devices are being used, unique devices, how much time spent, how much video is being watched. This compares us to the rest of the industry, you know, from our competitors' uh, point of view. So we definitely look at those. Uh, we have our own KPI trees inside for each one of those brands. You know, the extremes would be, in differences would be Fox Nation, which is a streaming service. Obviously, what you want to do is you want to make sure you bring in as many people as possible. You want to make sure you're getting paid uh, for those through that funnel and you're sort of spending a lot of time changing and improving that funnel to get uh, a subscription sort of converted. So that has its own sort of KPIs, but obviously there is the time spend as well, because once you're a payer, we want to make sure that you're also enjoying the content and see value so that you do continue to pay. So these are sort of like obvious KPIs. And then the extreme, and it's not that extreme actually, but like a completely different product line would have a different KPI tree is, is Fox Weather. Fox Weather has got two sort of lives. It's got the digital side of it, which is basically, I go to the app to see the weather. I want to see all this great data. And I want it to see, I want it, I want it to be a pleasurable experience and simple and easy and fast so that I can go and figure out what I'm wearing this morning. But then it's also got its TV aspect. We've got the live stream inside Fox Weather and it's open to the public. Anyone can watch Fox Weather anytime through the apps. So very different experiences with very different KPI trees. Uh, they don't have, you know, Fox Weather, the subscription challenge. And then, uh, you know, it's ad supported on Fox Weather, but yet, Fox Nation has got no ads and has got a full subscription model. So while there are similarities in like time spent on other things, overall, the KPIs tend to be tailored to the product line. News and business are very similar. So they have their own. And then you've got Nation, which is a streaming service, has its own KPI trees. And then obviously, Weather has its uh, uh, unique set of uh, KPIs as well. And it's just like a natural way. It's like, how do we make sure we're successful? One great way to make money is to make sure the users like your product and come back and yeah. use it because that Step is, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so they all sort of tie back into each other. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, 
a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to focus first on Fox Nation. I love breaking it out like this. Subscription, which, you know, of course, that's like everyone wants to be in that game if they can figure it out. What maybe secrets has Fox found out about keeping customer retention high? Because acquisition's one whole thing. And like you said, it doesn't matter if they get in there and then they actually don't watch it. Even if you have great stuff there, if they don't watch it, it doesn't matter because they'll eventually, you know, opt out. So what have you found? Like once they're in, what gets them to watch it? What are they excited about? Or what little tweaks have you made where you're like, mm, that one little thing pff, literally transformed the whole Fox Nation? Yeah, no, great question. There's probably two pieces to it. The two main things that I can think of right away is obviously uh, having the content that you have and having, you know, new content all the time, which again, is that's not where I'm an expert at all. That's not uh, my area of expertise. But to your point is like, what features are you going to have inside the application that sort of one, promote the new content that's just come in, make sure people are aware of it, what sort of personalization levels are you going to have? So for example, people come in and they watch more historical type content. Other people are more interested in day-to-day -day news. Like how do we create those personas inside the application so that one person A gets an experience that's a little bit tailored to them and they get to see the, you know, the, the carousels and the orders and everything else in the right way that speaks to what they're looking for. So hopefully they find the content quite quickly. Uh, sort of feed that information through the binge experience? And then how do we make sure that the folks that are getting the daily content, they're more interested in what's happening right now, are getting that experience. And again, sort of staying uh, tuned with other daily shows that are happening. So there is those types of experiences. And I think using sort of uh, recommendations is very helpful. There's also, it's like, you know, continue watching where you left off. You know, I think that the biggest challenge uh, to your question earlier on is like, People come in and I find myself like this a, a lot of the time, like let's just say you've got your dinner prepared and now you're about to watch TV so that you can you know, be entertained and relax at the end of your day as you eat. The first thing that you think is like, oh, what am I going to watch? Now, a lot of the time it's easier if you're watching, binging a show, you just like, you know, start off where you left off. But like sometimes people are kind of like lost a little bit, like what do I watch? Now, in the days of TV, the TV decided what you watched, right? So somebody's job a producer, a director, you know, all those folks that, that, that figure out how TV works, which has been done. Now, you either liked what they compiled for you or you don't. But nowadays, you're in charge of that decision-making. And if you are in charge, well, is it a really hard decision to make? And it sounds kind of easy, but it is kind of difficult, no, actually. I get stuck. I'm like, uh, uh, okay, I'll just got to turn this off. I don't know. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> right. So how do we create a pleasant enough experience so people get the content that they're looking for at the right time of day and night or their personality. That's a really difficult problem to solve. But then you see social media platforms solving these problems really well. And almost in an addictive way, the content, when they have a whole different types of problem they're solving, but they're, they're, they're almost, almost envious of them sometimes because their content is very short form, doesn't last that long, 
And, you know, the, the AI is very clever. It knows what you sort of, you're consuming. It tries things and then some of it works, some of it doesn't, it sort of moves on. But I think it all comes back to personalization and having the right experience and having a pleasant and steady experience. So there's nobody likes an app that crashes because after a few times you just give up on it. You need to make sure that the whole infrastructure works well and then that you are curating, you know, a different color of the app depending on, you know, the person watching. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah, you all have a tricky job because you're having to serve households and depending if it's me or my two and a half year old twins, it's like, how do you kind of like make sure that whatever you're surfacing is like appropriate for whoever's in that household, potentially if it's, you know, just on TV, maybe. That's a much harder problem than social media where it's usually one-to-one. It's not a group effort. That's right. Yeah, it is definitely different. Also, like, you know, social media, there is a lot of curators and then there is people like just you and me making content and people are, are watching it. So the whole thing is sort of a lot different. It, it doesn't have a launch. You don't launch. You go, I mean, I don't anyway. When I put a picture of like when I'm traveling somewhere and I put a picture up, it's not a launch. It's just oh, a, it's a launch. Uh, it's blowing up. Yeah. The internet is breaking <laughs> right. when that happens. Everyone's oh, like, yeah, wait, yeah. what's happening here? All my 30 <laughs> followers. Yes, they, they definitely do that. <laughs> but like that's, it's just like a whole different challenge and problem. But yeah, it is definitely fascinating. Yeah. So when you're looking at all these different, I mean, products, product lines, business units, what do you think is like the next big thing to come in the world of digital? Because to me, like you're the expert, you've worked in this space for such a long time. You've done so many different things. And I know you have to have some ideas where people are like, no, Michael, that's not coming. And you're like, oh, you just wait. I, I don't know if I've been, ever been a great predictor, but I'll just say what's interesting to me is, is like the platforms. And what I mean by platforms, I mean, Google and Apple and Amazon and others, they are almost curating the experience now and they've always obviously got a great deal of control, like what type of app you have, how you collect the data for users, you know, how, how it all works. Some of them are very strict on like how the actual application looks in terms of UI, UX, and, and what can you use and what can't you use. So, and they approve your app, they look at it, and they sort of like, yep, you failed here, or this thing is different than what we, our regulations say. So when you think about it that way, they have that great deal of control over what happens inside your app, in their platform, then one could say that those rules are going to get more and more strict over time, which only could mean that they get to have a greater deal of control of the whole experience. And I guess the question is, is it eventually going to be apps or is it going to be something sort of like more general than that? Like instead of like having 10 apps for streaming services, for example, do you just go like to one application or one place? Listen, maybe it's not called apps anymore. You go to one place and that place holds all your streaming services. And that whole thing is like controlled by the platform. And you don't really, the, the content provider or the, the digital entity doesn't get to dictate as much. They have some options, but they get very little choice on what they do. I wonder if that's the future. Uh, of those platforms. But I don't know if I've ever been right about anything. So I wouldn't... I still like hearing these ideas, though. That's why I'm like, this is... I mean, this brings me into an interesting thought bubble because, I mean, my view right now is like looking at, you know, Web3 and where it's headed is that people at a certain point, creators, 
or whoever will get fed up with platforms because they get on there, they start their business based off the rules that they understand. And then the platform changes the rules and they're like, you know, like Facebook did a lot of people and I'm sure others too. It's like the rules are all of a sudden different. Your whole business is built on these 10 rules that you, you know, thought were going to stay the same. Whereas like in web three, you can, the platform, the rules are built in and everyone agrees on them before, you know, it's even started. And so then if they're going to change, everyone has to kind of agree on them, but you can't just get, you know, the rug ripped out from underneath of you. So that makes me kind of maybe think the opposite of like less platforms, less control, or if there are platforms, the rules are baked in from the beginning. So then people have confidence of the future. I think you're right, though. It is super interesting. I, and I, and who knows which way it goes. It's very interesting. I do know, like, I guess, in a way, companies like, say, Apple, who own both the hardware and the software experience, probably get a little bit of a say, right, in, in how we do things in the future. Google's probably not too different. Actually, if anything, they're probably even got more more going on there. So it, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I mean, you would say any company that owns data and people are building on top of will probably have a large say, maybe, unless things become so decentralized where it's like the consumers win and they just they decide the rules of the game going forward. I don't know. Yeah. Sounds like a good movie, though. You guys should do this at Fox. Yeah. I just had a whole yeah. storyline for you. <laughs> that is a good movie, yes. <laughs> I would watch that movie, definitely. Good. My... Uh, one one viewer is all I need. Just you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> one fan, one super fan. I don't need any more yeah. than that. We're not, we're not going to spend too much money on production for this. Uh-huh. It's only one beta. viewer. You're right. It's we're a beta. We're going to have to. Yeah, that's not going to. That's not a money maker by the sounds of it. Not yeah. yet. <laughs> so you see all the product lines that are coming along with it. I don't oh, know. That's right. <laughs> so many options. Uh, okay, so I took you on a very far tangent. I'll bring us back because what I see in your career is that you're really good to it, like managing people and seeing how to get teams to work well together. And, you know, like, you know, I listened to some interviews you were on and I hear how you're thinking. So I want to hear, you know, how to manage a good team and create a good culture within it. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good question. I think I've had to learn over the years and I'm still learning as a manager on how to manage better. I pick up new skills as I go. I'm probably a better manager than I used to be like five years ago, 10 years ago. But uh, I still definitely continue to learn. I don't think I'm in any way, shape, shape the best uh, manager. But I'll just say, I think there are very important things that need to happen or take place uh, for, for a team to be effective and the team to sort of produce good work. And one of it is uh, structure, having the right structure. Lots of teams um, have titles for people and the titles don't quite mean the same thing for the same or similar team member in another company. So there is like all, there's a lot of vagueness sometimes on like what people actually do and they end up doing things in, you know, outside their own scope of work, which is fine sometimes, but sometimes it's not so great. There's also uh, another great thing that I think any leadership would need to have is clarity on how, uh, or what is needed. And uh, a lot of uh, leaders could communicate what is needed in terms of like, here's what we need to do. You know, as a company, we need to grow the number of users or we need to grow the number of live streams or uh, video time spent, whatever it is. And other leaders will be like, well, I want you to add this feature on this part of the app uh, and give that to the team. And I think that person that's doing that is sort of solving the problem. They're sort of solving the problem for their team. And I catch myself doing things like that still, you know, 
Uh, and I try to make sure that I don't do that. I try not to micromanage the solution. I think what's really uh, great is when you inspire the team with a challenge on your own sort of managers and say, this is what we're trying to do. Come back to me and tell me what your plans are and see how they come back. I think what they many of them will do, they, they will surprise you. They'll come up with better solutions than you could have come up with. They might think outside the box. They might do things that are just a lot more than just looking at the competition. They might just do really clever things. So I think you want to hire people that are also very uh, innovative, but also are empowered to think a little bit differently. So you need to be clear to them. You need to make sure they're structured well. And you need to sort of not give them your answer of how you would do it, but also uh, give them the sort of the challenge of it. And then be there for support. You need to be supportive and be sort of involved enough, but not also in every little thing and being too involved. So I think there's always a balance for all those things. And I'm sure I broke that rule, all those rules three, four times today. But I do my best to sort of uh, try and empower people uh, in my team. I think that's, that always is very important to me. Yeah, that, that's great. That reminds me of, I feel like a good example I have is around hiring designers where I am not a designer. And I would, you know, in the early days, I'd be like, I want this, 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 and this. And it would come back and I'd be like, ew, what is this? They're like, that's literally just exactly what you said. I'm like, okay, no. Now instead, here's the feeling I want to invoke. It's going to go to these places. It's like high level. Like, here's the goals. And like, you think, because don't let my bad ideas influence your skill. Like, you have a skill set that I don't. So yeah, I love that. Like, give them the high level picture and let them innovate for you. But yeah, exactly. And I mean, and just think about like how they feel about it as well. When you give them the specifics, of, it, of the solution, they will do it. And then if they, you come back and you give them a oh, good feedback, oh, great, they just done something. But imagine the opposite where like you don't give them the specifics and you sort of like let them sort of be creative, especially in a design format. And they come back and they really open your, they'll see it right on your face that you are sort of like really happy about it. You're not just happy because they did what you wanted. They, they, they're happy because they were able to ins- almost inspire you as a leader too. I think that's a whole different thing. And it goes back to also employee retention. And you point earlier on is like people kind of want to feel good about themselves. So I want to feel good about myself at work. Everybody does. It's just a natural sort of feeling. So uh, if you want to retain your employees, you want to have good people around, you want to hire good people to begin with. You need to have a good culture where people are able to feel really good about themselves. And they do that through their own sort of success, how the whole team works together. Yeah, I agree. Are there any leaders or companies that you follow to try and learn from where you're like, oh, I pulled tips from here, here, is it just all inside here? I'm pointing to my head for anyone who is not looking at me. <laughs> no, so so great. So firstly, I've been super lucky because I've worked for really great people, really, really great people. I love my current boss. He's awesome. My previous boss was fantastic just there. And I worked with him for him for a, for a couple of companies. He was just a great, great guy too. I've just like really lucked out wow, in my career. That's actually pretty dang lucky. I'm like, I yeah. can't think of every boss I've ever had being like, oh, A player, <laughs> A player. I'm like, mm. honestly, I can say in the last so many years, I've been very like, I've learned something from everybody. Um, I think that day to day sort of working with for somebody great is is where I've learned the most. So for me, that's that's a uh, it's a great way. You know, it's always great to like read and, and and see things for great innovators. You know, that are being super successful, whether it's Steve Jobs and others. But generally, uh, that's not my go to place 
but it is just it's great obviously to be inspired by by great stories yeah yeah love that all right well let's shift over to the lightning round so the lightning round is brought to you by salesforce commerce cloud our amazing sponsors and it's where i get to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer first do you have a hobby that would maybe surprise your coworkers or your friends where they're like, I didn't know Michael did that? Oh, it's something I picked up during the pandemic. I started to learn hieroglyphics. What? Uh, the ancient Egyptian writing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Here's the thing. I went just in December 2019. I was in Egypt. I remember walking around with all the guides and none of the guides uh, that I was with could read what was on the walls. And I just couldn't imagine for the life of me being a guide and then going what is this and they're like i don't know like i couldn't imagine being them yeah then i was like you know what i'm gonna go back one day and i'm gonna be able to read what's on these walls and then the pandemic happened and i started investing in all these different books and all these cue cards and then i'm not gonna say like i've learned it but i know i know enough now so that i can write things and i can read lots of things uh uh, and i when i go to the museum or the met or other museums when i travel I go to the district just to test out how much I, I know. And I know a couple of things. So it's, that was, that's a fun hobby for me. Oh, it's a, as you know, cool. nothing like learning a dead language that's not going to take you anywhere. <laughs> hey, yeah. I mean, you can go to those exhibits and be like, tip jar, and I'll tell you what this means. These are secrets and codes right. that only <laughs> yeah. I can tell you people. <laughs> or I could make some serious money through that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. Man. Okay. Now I'm like looking this up. I, it's bringing me back to like elementary school. I have not even thought about this for a long time. So. Okay. That's a good one. I like that. All right. Next up, what is a book that you think of or recommend time and time again? There was like certain books actually that I've always liked. I think Inspired was one of the the, the really great books in product management that I really, mm. really liked mm-hmm. reading because it was just like really well written. I actually read it, ended up reading it a couple of times. The first version, I think there was a revised one that I ended up picking up. There's an older book. And again, both books, by the way, were recommended to me by uh, my previous boss, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And that's, uh, that's just like a fun book. It's super easy to read. And as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, my God, I make all these mistakes when I conduct myself with people. Uh, uh, I need to sort of like work on that. Like always like remember, you know, how to win people is, is important. How to treat people is very important. You know, I think those two books are pretty, pretty great books. That's good. Yep. I like both of those. So good ones. Okay. What do you think is the most overrated and underrated technology? Oh, uh, God, really good question. Overrated. Okay. I'm going to answer it differently and I'm going to get, and, and many years I answered this question similarly and I got in trouble by the, the, like the panel I was part of. Okay. I think a, a technology that's not ready yet and has been overrated for the last seven years at least if not longer is virtual reality it's just like has not you know in 2014 when oculus came out and all that happened everybody was like yep that's not just it everything will be vr everything is still not vr does it have a future definitely is it going to be great probably but like i still don't see i still honestly don't see it being something i would use every day until it gets a lot better. You're right. You t- you picked a, a middle area. I'm like, so it's not overrated and it's maybe not underrated yet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's not quite there yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it will be interesting. I'm sure there are gamers that like love them and, 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 that, and that sort of thing. So that's 
So for them, they might not feel that way. But again, the, I think back then it was meant to be like, we're all going to live in a virtual world. And that's, I don't know if that's happened quite yet. Underrated. Okay, this is underrated by me till very recently. And it's the smartwatch. Okay. Uh, because, you know, I was an early adopter. And then I had uh, one of the first smartwatches. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I put it on. I was like, oh, it doesn't do anything. I don't need to look at my notifications on my phone and on my uh, on my watch. Uh, I just don't understand what the point of it is. Until recently, when, I, when I've been doing a great deal of uh, a little bit more exercise than I used to, and now it really matters to me. Like, you know, I'm just like really using it. I think the health tech piece of it has really taken off. And I think it's going to really take off even further, way, way better. And it's going to do way more things. It's going to tell you so much more than just, you know, I think Apple Watch 8 now tells you temperature, for example, and other things, which is great. Uh, I think it's going to really integrate into your health. So yes, underrated by me, probably not by others because they were smarter than me, but I I, I love it now. I think it's, it's great technology. That's good. I think I'm in the same camp as you were, where I'm like, I don't know, why do I need one? However, when it starts to tell me my blood sugar level and if I have a flu coming on and my vitamin deficiencies and, you know, right. easy stuff to just tell me at the drop of a hat, that's, then I'll get one. Um, yeah. And, and it could tell you that, you know, this technology already sort of existed. I think it's like, tell you how dehydrated you are, you know, things like that. Yeah. And it's like, that's really interesting. And the blood sugar one is really interesting. Blood pressure is also something that I think people have been talking about for some time. I mean, once it does those, and I think the the numbers are really clever. They look at some graphs and then they can tell you like, they can tell some people like if they're really close to like some sort of a problem and it could save lives. And I think that's mm -hmm. really the future of those things. And it could only get better from here. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. Yeah. I love that. See, Michael, look at us. We're just laying out the future for everyone. Everyone's just here <laughs> right. to bask in our ideas. And that's right. This is, <laughs> that's how they're going to make their millions. Yeah. So virtuality, not so much. Go go the uh, the smartwatch round. That's great. I love that. Okay, last question. What have you bought recently for under $100 that has brought you the most joy? Oh, this is embarrassing. But I, this is only because I started cooking during the pandemic. But it's going to sound really silly, but boiled eggs uh, were <laughs> tricky for me, right? Okay. So like how to boil eggs, and I looked it up, there was YouTube, and there's all sorts of things you can do. And it gets it just right? But then I bought this thing from Amazon where you put it in the water with the eggs and it's like a little half egg. Okay. And as the colors change on it, it tells you how soft the egg is going to be in the middle or how hard it's going to be and if it's going to be ready or not. And I thought it was brilliant and it just, it does work really, really well. So you buy this thing, you put it in the water with the eggs and it tells you what's inside the egg. Basically, it kind of like predicts it for you. It tells you so like an insider information on on the, on the egg. Oh, that's pretty cool. And I think that was only like six dollars. Okay. So, and every day you wake up with joy with this. <laughs> yes, I mean I don't boil the eggs all the time, but I when I do, I look forward to the whole experience because of this little oh my gosh. Uh, little piece of like egg technology basically yeah i have to yeah. look this up and now i know for christmas what to get you i'm gonna get one of the poached eggs cookers for you and be like here you go uh, take it to the next brilliant. level <laughs> I, and the, the best part is it's probably been out for years and years and people like somebody like me who doesn't know anything about cooking probably could have had it all along but yes it's uh it's a brilliant piece of uh 
of cooking technology for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Michael, this has been an awesome interview. Super fun. Thanks for going all over the place with me because uh, that's how I do. So until next time, where can people find you or learn more about the work that you're up to? I tend to post things on on, uh, LinkedIn every now and then, but uh, generally, I guess I just put things on Instagram every now and then when I travel. But yeah, I don't really post so much on social media, but I really should. Uh, and, and I personally, I've really enjoyed our conversation. You're great, a natural host. So thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.